it is hot as hell down here. It's really pretty comfortable. It's you're, very dramatic. You're I'm dead. naked. Oh, <laughs> <damn>. <laughs> it is hot. So I I uh, run an environmental engineering club, and we had a summer meeting yesterday, which was over Zoom, which is a video chat. And one of my members did not know it was a video chat. And I'm 90% sure he answered the phone in just his underwear. And that was very confused. Welcome to Pod for the Planet. I'm Charles Olson. I am Ramel Pacheco. And I'm Abby Beach. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about urban green spaces and how they make our communities and our lives a little bit better. So before we get into everything today, uh, we're going to try out a new segment uh, about the news and we're going to talk about some current events that are going on. So let's get started. Let's dig right in. So I don't know if you guys have seen the video where uh, George Stephanopoulos is interviewing Trump. I actually only w- read the news coverage on it because I couldn't bring myself to watch the real video. Okay. I haven't seen the video. All right. So I watched part of the video and then I read a good amount of the transcript and holy shit. So apparently Trump has never called the FBI in his life, which... He's been a president for two years and has never called the FBI. First of all, what the fuck? That can't be true. He, I think he was making a Trumpism when he said that. Maybe, maybe the FBI has been calling him. <laughs> never. He's never had to pick up the phone and actually call them because they're always at his door. Because they're always like in his office, like give us your documents. And he's <laughs> like, "This is why you never get a call back because <laughs> you're so needy." Trump is actually in like a really manipulative relationship with the FBI, where he's like, "I don't need you," and they're like, "Please need us." Um. <laughs> also, he said that. Basically, didn't he say, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he say basically he was like, well, I don't know if the FBI is right. And it was like, oh, boy. It was the FBI director said that, like, if like you're not supposed to like if you get anything from a foreign government, you have to bring it to the FBI yeah. in like the case of elections and such. And Trump was like, yeah, I don't think the FBI director is right about that. And we're well, like, this- what the fuck? In the so, same video, so what he's saying, like you, you don't know how to do your job. In the same video, he also do your job. In the same video, he also said um, that he he would he would accept information from foreign governments about his opponents. Like he was like, yeah, I'd take that shit. I don't know if I'd bring it to the FBI. The FBI could be wrong. And then he was he was like, but. You know, if someone were to give it to me, I'd, you know, I'd take it. But and then, you know, afterwards, I'd bring it to the FBI. So it's like you don't believe the FBI is right. But, you know, if someone gives it to you, you might bring it to the FBI. Like, do you really think Norway is going to help you? I'm sorry. What? Norway, if you're listening, please help the Democrats. 
also sponsor do us. not sorry also sponsor us please at norway please sponsor me at any scandinavian country at sweden <laughs> at sweden i have sweden tattooed on my body all right that's a sponsor bit personal me. sweden <laughs> I, I <don't laughs> sorry sweden, sweden. swipe right on sweden Ooh, that could be a bumper sticker anyway so i didn't really the, the biggest thing for me with this was I feel like I've become so desensitized to what Trump says and, like, listening to what Trump says. And then when I read... This is, like, the first transcript of, like, what Trump has said in an interview that I've read since I feel like senior year of high school when he, after he was elected. And holy fuck, this guy is crazy. Like, his sentences, like, there's no sentence structure. Like, I feel like I was writing better sentences in middle school. Like, I mean, this is things we, we've been known. But, like... You like when you can see it with your eyes and not your ears. It's kind of like, what the fuck? Okay, so the fucking homelessness crisis in Los Angeles. So I was listening to another podcast. Uh, I'm not going to plug it right now, but in this podcast they talked about this, and then I researched it, and I was looking at a CNN article and an LA Times article about how this year there was a report that came out that was saying. That And I can link to the report in the show notes that the homelessness population in Los Angeles went up by 16% and L.A. now has 60,000 homeless people. That's crazy. That's insane. It's wild. It's like the biggest homeless population in the country. And uh, apparently in 2015, I believe, uh, a or no, it was 2016, a bill was passed during the elections to have money, tax money put towards building housing for homeless people, like transition housing. And so far, three years later, nothing has been done yet. Um, And part of that, in the article, it was talking about how, like, the mayor has done nothing and has said nothing. And when this report came out, there was no press conference. Like, the mayor is nowhere to be found on this. Um, But what really gets me... I mean, besides the whole fucking thing and the fact that 60,000 people are homeless and none of this housing has been built yet, is that moving from a local to a state level, California, the state government has a Democratic supermajority, so it's literally like the Democrats can do whatever they want. Like, anything they want to do can get passed in California. And they, the party in California has been, like, time and time again saying that like there are the party of the people and they're like trying to help these poor marginalized communities and yet nothing has been done on it i just want to know why like this is a crazy sixty thousand people i saw a video a while ago and it wasn't like something the government was doing but it was a i think like a non-profit was building tiny homes for homeless people in california like tiny home communities that was interesting. Um, obviously, that's not like gonna combat this like systematic issue. Um, I saw an article today that was saying that Google uh, and that like put is pledging like one billion dollars towards uh, like the housing crisis in the San Francisco Bay Area. But Google loves that good good press. Google really loves their press. I saw, um, I, I read this article actually, and that's saying that was how, um, beca- um, with the growing homeless population, there's like increase in like outbreaks of, of hepatitis A, C, typhus, and just like, yeah, it's also a public health issue. Yeah. It is a public health issue. 
like when you don't have like you know you don't have basic needs to like food and shelter and like sanitation you know becomes a public health issue also um there's also i watched another video about um homeless students in california which is like crazy that there's this big of an issue but it's college students who were like pretty regular college students who live in their cars um and there's like a huge handful of them all over california um they just like shower at school live in their cars and there's a ton of students having to do this because the housing is so expensive in the city so a couple weeks ago uh there was like a lot of people were really upset about how this rhode island school was like not letting students get hot lunches because of their outstanding like school lunch debt which for like if anybody is listening from outside of the united states uh it's like we have a system where it's like students have to pay for a hot lunch and if they can't afford like a hot lunch in primary school in elementary school and high school like they have to get like a cold lunch like a sandwich or something um and a lot of people are dependent on like free or reduced lunch and like a lot of people can't afford uh, lunch prices and schools are not given a lot of help from the government to pay for lunch programs aside from like free or reduced lunch but like those requirements are super strict um, but after this Rhode Island school was getting a fuck ton of shit the CEO of Chobani uh, announced that he was going to pay off uh, the lunch debt for that school in Rhode Island yeah that's really wow. interesting. That's cool uh, yeah, that's really cool of him. That's like awesome. It's the same way like Jaden Smith calling attention to like the Flint, Michigan crisis and doing work is like really awesome. It's just so fucked that like we have to rely on celebrities um, to or big corporations. Yeah, like corporations or celebrities or just like you know, kind, rich people to be doing this when, like, this should not be an issue in the first place. I took a, an education class, and, like, my focus was on, like, food insecurity and, and school lunch, and, like, it, it's, you can't expect a five-year-old to function and, like, learn their alphabet on an empty stomach. So, as someone, like, I, growing up, had free and reduced lunch, like, all through elementary school and high school, and I can attest that, like, when you grow up in a situation like that, like, with, like, other circumstances outside of school, economic circumstances that make it, like, difficult to go to school and function as it is, like, the last thing that you need to be worrying about is, like, if, like, you're going to have, a, like, a balanced, nutritious lunch at school. And for a lot of students, especially, like, poor um and minority students like school lunches and school breakfasts are some of the only meal like larger meals that they'll have in their day um so for me the this instance and this isn't actually the only time this has happened so back this was back in like the beginning of may and then just recently this past week uh chobani um uh has announced that they're paying off eighty five thousand dollars in lunch debt for a school district in Idaho, um, which is just insane to me. Like this the is the fact that these children are like in I mean debt, like lunch so debt. They they don't do this anymore because there was so much bad press about it. But there was like a bunch of schools that were um, stamping. This was like in the mid two thousands, but 
were stamping students' hands with stamps saying that they needed, like, they were in debt so that they would go home and their parents would see them. So they were, like, literally branding children to force their parents to try to pay their debts. Like, obviously, if these parents had the money to pay off their school lunch, like, it would be paid. We were fortunate to go to a school with, like, a pretty robust uh, FERPA program. To end that, uh, the CEO of Chobani, Hamdi Ulukaya, I'm sorry if I have butchered that name, uh, is one of my new heroes. So keep doing what you're doing. Chobani makes good yogurt. Chobani makes some delicious Honestly, yogurt. I, I know he probably didn't. I also love yogurt. He probably didn't do this for the press. Like, it sounds like he's, like, a genuinely nice guy. But when I'm in the stores now, like, I'm when I'm picking my Chobani. Greek yogurt, I'm going to pick Chobani. Exactly. Knowing that, like, the money that is going to Chobani is, like, somewhat supporting this, like, cause in a way is really powerful. Keep doing what you're doing, Chobani, and I'll keep buying your yogurt. And then maybe you can sponsor us. That'd be cool. <laughs> Thanks. Definitely please sponsor us. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Next thing, um, we have to talk about Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. You know, I, I don't think I've ever seen the movie with Keanu Reeves before. Bill and Ted's honestly. Excellent Adventure, The Matrix, nope. John Wick. Uh, part of The Matrix, not the whole thing. I've never seen any of the John Wicks. I know. I'm slacking. To be honest, I've only ever seen Bill and Ted and part of The Matrix as well. So you're not the only one. But so Keanu Reeves in the past, like, what's it been, two weeks? There's been, like, pictures after, like, a video of him. uh, Was it Colbert? There was an interview where he, like, talked about, like, what is the meaning? Like, what is the meaning of life or something ridiculous like that? And he answered it with, like, the most perfect answer ever, which is one, what the hell? Uh, it's just, like, the internet's been covered with, like, memes of how, like, wholesome Keanu Reeves is. Like, he doesn't, like, touch women when he takes pictures with them. Like, he's, like, it, it's just, like, wild stuff like that. Um, and then I feel like it really has, like, escalated so much since E3. Uh, and it was announced that he was going to be, like, a main character in that new game, Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, yeah. One, that game looks awesome. And two, Keanu, keep doing what you're doing. He has, like, a really, like, dark, like, background, too, right? Like, his, I know, like, I think his his wife died, right? What? That's crazy. His, his wife died. He had to, like, take care of his sister when she had, like, leukemia or some form of cancer. And, yeah, he, I know he's, like, been through a lot, and just, like, all of a sudden he's just, like, this wholesome, like, meme-worthy character in the internet, and everyone's just loving him, and just, like, wow, this is great for someone to, like, you know. I'm really here for the whole Keanu Reeves thing. Big Keanu Reeves stan. All right, if that's all we got with that, uh, this has been some current events. Um, And with that, oh, wait, Ramel. Hippie Vans throwback from last episode about um hipsters and road trips and whatnot volkswagen announced that they are coming back with the hippie van but this time it's powered by electricity so it can actually be a hippie van exactly yeah but you know sometimes electric batteries are kind of you know expensive and, and they have rare well, they require will... rare trace metals that <laughs> 
It right. will remain to be a um, privileged hippie only van. I was about to oh say, yeah. I bet they're going to be very expensive and only white people will be driving them. But they'll look cute as fuck on their Instagram. It's going to look <laughs> great on my Twitter. When you look at the the design for it, though, it looks it looks futuristic. I, I understand it's supposed to like resemble the old vintage hippie van, but I feel like it it won't be the same. It's just not going to be it's, the same. It's more it's sleeker, you know. I mean, cur- they had to the edges. It's called updating it. They had to come in with the update. You know, capitalism. There's a bit of novelty to it that makes capitalism run. <laughs> Just just throw hippie or vintage on it, and then you could just, you know, it'll be popular like that. You know the meme where it's like the guy smacking the hood of the car, and it's like, this baby will go for miles. It's that. Isn't that from Spongebob? No, that's the, the you know, that's not the a boulder, set. Patrick. It's a rock. The pioneers used to ride these babies for miles. <laughs> All right. Let's nice. get into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So... What this episode is actually supposed to be about, um, urban green spaces. So think, you know, parks, trees on the sidewalk. I think people. I know. I'm just trying to think. I'm, I'm just saying. Come that break as down. Like, <laughs> no, I'm like, what What? O- what else? What other, you know, like green roofs? Green roofs, um, gardens, community gardens are green spaces, school gardens in urban communities. Ooh, those are good. Dab, dab, dab. I'm trying um, to think of like. There, there's also blue spaces. What are blue spaces? Blue spaces like <laughs> it's um like um ponds or like little little you know it's like green spaces but with you know with water in it. Nice. All right. So. Green spaces but wetter. <laughs> wet green space. Yeah, that just they're, sounds. They're, they're just moist. <laughs> Make it wet. Hit that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's talk about the environmental importance of parks in urban areas. Um, so I apparently on our sh- on our notes, I'm the only one who put anything down for this section. Um, so you no. better. I, I just have, put my I notes have, in I a different notes. spot. They're down yeah, below. Oh, well, Follow the format. My first thought that came to mind when we we're talking about the importance of green space in urban areas is the urban heat island effect. And I feel like we're experiencing this so much in the brutal D.C. summer. It is terrible. I got so much to say about this. I have so much to say about this. So, br- real quick, super quick, since the three of us already know what urban heat islands are, but it's like, uh, basically... Since we already know about that. Mm, yes, I said that with my pinky up, just for all Aww. of you listening. Holding his drinking, drinking Bud Light. Oh, <laughs> so, what happens is, in urban cities, because of all, like, the concrete, the asphalt, and all, like, the man-made materials and stuff, those materials absorb a lot of solar radiation um, and trap heat very well. So, studies have shown that urban areas and urban environments tend to be, like, almost, like, 6 to 10 degrees hotter than surrounding areas. And then, green and like, they tend to be hotter than green areas it's the best way to put it (laughs) yeah that that was it sums it up um this is like a really big thing in dc because if you travel from like this downtown areas and or um like the wards seven and eight which are poor wards um if there's like heat maps that you can look at i can link to them um 
but there's these heat maps that show like those areas can be up to 10 degrees hotter in the same day as like surrounding areas that have more parks like Rock Creek Park and like nature areas um and even like the mall helps too um and not only does this affect like heat um but it also affects pollution um and asthma is a really big thing in DC um and also we have like a really growing population of old people in these areas which is a thing um and heat tends to affect old people significantly more than it's going to affect your like you know tween running around obviously the tween will be affected by asthma too but like uh elderly person can't go to the grocery store can't get to church whatever they need to do that day if it's too hot because you simply can't go outside i simply cannot i i simply cannot is what the old people will say. Cries the old people. Green spaces help alleviate that problem. And also trees. I mean, trees 101, they clean the air. If you didn't know that, you're definitely listening to the right podcast. Because we'll tell you more about fun stuff like that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's like a big health equity thing. Because mm-hmm. the more... it's. It's wild how different your environments can be, like your pollution and your, um, like the temperature of the world around you if you don't have enough Mm -hmm. trees and parks. And that's just like one aspect of like the social importance of parks and green spaces and like greenery and urban areas. Mental health. Yeah, that that's 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 the first thing I thought. Like I remember I did. I did um, a presentation in in China about like ecosystem services and like for mental health. FYI, it was the worst presentation I ever given in my life. But besides that, um, yeah, um, besides um, reducing stress or like um, helping with sleep cycles, um, I read an article that um, it actually helps with um, um ADHD that um, children with ADHD can, like, benefit from spending more time in green settings on a daily basis. And there's, like, a study where um, <coughs> basically um, after playing in an area in green spaces, um, they were more likely to improve on tests that um, required more attention than, like, pre- than, than another sample group that wasn't exposed to playing in an area with green spaces. I have, like a couple of friends with ADHD and my mom when I was a kid used to refer to that as like getting your yin-yangs out like you just need sometimes you just need to be outside and run around a little bit before you come back to your workspace and I still as an adult stand by that like if I cannot focus I like go take a walk outside come back sit down and can focus there was a really interesting article that I read a couple weeks ago about how some jobs and some offices are doing this thing where it's like like um park meditation hours where everyone in the work setting would like go for a walk or like you can like find these groups on facebook even um and like outside of work you can go for walks in park and like sit in parks and just meditate and just like spend time outside and it's like studies like like you said have shown that it's like super important for mental health so like i used to work in i might have said this last episode but i don't know maybe you didn't listen to last episode um, I used to work in an elementary school um, with a, like a healthy eating gardening program, 
Um, so we like learned about sustainability and we would go outside and garden a little bit and we'd like pick some vegetables and we'd come in and we'd make a meal um, with those vegetables we grew slash picked. It was really fun. Plug for food prints. Sponsor us. I don't think they have mm-hmm. any sponsors, <laughs> but whatever. Um, <laughs> but you could definitely tell the difference between those kids from like sitting inside all day because we usually do the lessons beforehand and they'd be like antsy and couldn't pay attention and then they'd go outside for a little bit, come back in, and then they were like ready to cook, ready to learn. Being outside helps um, patients that are going through dementia. And when when um, they're outside, they actually have more connection to um, more um, positive memories. And um, I found this other article that um, <coughs> people who grow up without green spaces are actually 50% more likely to develop schizophrenia compared to those who like grow up around greenery. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, that's actually really that's interesting. That's like a really interesting statistic. Green spaces are super important for mental health, and they're also really important for like the overall health of communities so in sociology there is this theory called social cohesion or otherwise known as group cohesiveness um and i have the definition of that here uh group cohesiveness arises when bonds link members of a social group to one another and to the group as a whole although cohesion yeah cohesion is a multifaceted process it can be broken down into four main components Social relations, task relations, perceived unity, and emotions. Um, Members of strongly cohesive groups are more inclined to participate uh, readily and to stay with the group. And this is a super important concept for urban green spaces because parks uh, and other green spaces in cities provide places that everyone in the community can go and interact with each other uh, and where they can feel a common sense of safety and unity. And they also act as a singular item or place that everyone in the community can be connected to on an emotional level. Charles is staring at me as he reads me these facts, like staring into my soul. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> like excited. A, he's like an encyclopedia that won't stop looking at you. <laughs> I'm like super excited about th- about this. Like I, I kid you not, I spent hours looking into the effects that urban spaces have on social cohesion. And it is so interesting, the studies that are being done across the planet with this what i think is important um and i'm gonna like i don't know if beat the dead cat's a good term to use on an environmental podcast but i'm beating the horse you keep the horse in the back (laughs) and you beat it it. (laughs) (laughs) that's when PETA comes for you um (laughs) (laughs) but i uh, equity 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 like i think what's super important to keep in mind about all this stuff is that like these green spaces are built for communities slash by communities that they're looking to serve because like we don't want to be socially cohesed um by like one person's view of what their environment should be so like art in these places that are built by and for the communities food is grown that is like you know normal food that people in that community would eat whatever that might be like if this is like not a space that's like we don't usually eat kale like don't be growing kale there like grow something that should be grown there so that like those communities can feel comfortable in those spaces faster 
So there was when I was doing my research, I found uh, an article, a scholarly article, like just about that. Um, and they found that like the spatial disparities in green space coverage in a lot of American cities um, for green space accessibility, uh, census tracts of higher poverty or a greater percentage of blacks and Hispanics were underexposed to green spaces, supporting the commonly accepted hypothesis that disadvantaged neighborhoods tend to lack health promoting and activity inviting environmental resources um, and Across the research that I did, I kept finding similar findings from resources. Yeah, I think that's something that definitely needs to be addressed with like future environmental and urban planning across the country. It's funny because like I there's other article that I found which like saying that like part being making parks aren't always a solution because when you like make a new park, it ends up being like expensive, especially if it's like in an urban core or like if you make a park near um a neighborhood that has a lot that has a marginalized group because then the property value of that area goes up and then wealthier residents move in and then it creates gentrification so it was talking about how um that planners have to take steps to prevent like this from occurring such as like for like rent control or like and then like um making um the neighborhoods just green enough for it to like be considered a green space but like not too green where it's like raises the property value and attracts you know um people that would cause gentrification to occur and it's like i don't know that's like saying a place has to be just green enough to like is kind it's, of ridiculous like that yeah that like ties into so many other systemic issues yeah and i also feel like I I totally get where that's coming from, like ways to prevent gentrification, but like we should find other ways to prevent gentrification without being like, you community can only look nice enough because if you look too good, you're going to get taken over. Like we, there should, that's shit. Like that sucks. On the New York City Parks website, there is some data that showed that, uh, it, and it was like, the data was like well-intentioned, but when we're talking about it in this context, it, like, is a clear issue that all of the – it showed, like, over, like, a 10-year time period how the introduction of parks like the High Line or uh, Prospect Park in Brooklyn um, caused property values around the park to go up. And they were saying, like, oh, Which is for a city that's, like, great when exactly, you say that, like yeah. Parks bring economic growth. Like, that's what parks do. And, like – we're about to like go into like the whole case for why cities need more parks and like the economics incentives for it but like there needs to be economic growth without gentrification and we shouldn't blame parks for gentrification like there are other issues that are causing it i also think like when we're looking at parks we should be thinking about them in terms of like how can these benefit the community in place not like how can this boom the economy? Like, I I think we go too far down like the money route without being like, what are what are the benefits for this community? Instead of being like, can we grow food here? Can we have like, what groups here can hold their meetings? I heard the term for the first time the other day, um, food forest. Have you guys ever heard that term? Like, in the reverse of food desert, an environmental p- lawyer said it. <laughs> 
and I was like, oh, shit. Um, because it was, we we're talking about green spaces um, and how if it's a community that's struggling, like, and you're like, build a park here, and they're like, no, like, we need a Target, like, before we need a green space, or like, we need a grocery store, um, you need to, like, make those spaces versatile, um, and the, choose the term food forest, and I can't remember what area is doing this, it exists, though, but, um, like turning those green spaces into places where anyone can come and just like pick fruits and vegetables because in a lot of other countries like it's not like the United States like if you see like an apple tree on the side of the road you just like pick the apple and eat it whereas here we're like apples are a private commodity yeah and like you wouldn't just go on someone else's yard and grab a lemon from their tree like that reminds me of a movie Ramel I don't know if you were in class for like our urban geography class back in the fall when we watched that video about Detroit and how I think it was Detroit about how they have like they're trying to like transition and like it might have been Flint or it was somewhere in the Rust Belt and they're trying to like provide um, like education and like urban ish um, like green space by in like like community agriculture and like um, like a farmer's market almost. Do you do you know what I'm talking about? I I remember watching a video on Detroit in the class, but I don't remember the the farmer's market part. It I might be thinking of two different videos. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, you're exactly right. Like we need to have a community focus, and I think communities community leaders should be brought in. And this is just like across the board for planning. Like, community leaders need to be brought in on planning decisions that are involving that physical area. And, like, the commu- like the communities themselves need to be, like, supported, but mm-hmm. they should be doing, making these calls. Like, what do we need? We need mm-hmm. food. Okay, how can we make a green space mm-hmm. be that? I'm going to plug food prints again, but, like, something that they do. So Sponsor us, food prints. <laughs> It's actually Fresh Farms Market, which is in D.C. Um, Sponsor us, Fresh Farms Market in D.C. They run this program, Food Prints. But Fresh Farms, not everywhere in D.C., but they, like, try to make a lot of their uh, farmer's markets, like, be SNAP benefits. So, like, you can use your SNAP at... Yeah, and I think it's... I think you can't do it in D.C. or something weird, but, like, they were working on that. Um, And they're also working on moving their farmers markets closer to like the schools where food prints are um and it's not really being accomplished totally but i think something that's really interesting is like putting those green spaces like in schools and then providing it to the community so like schools Mm -hmm. can be like a center for all these things because like once a kid goes home being like i did this today it's much easier to like get that kid to bring their parents somewhere um so another important social aspect of it of urban green spaces like going back to general like bringing us back up to general social cohesion um because i fucking love that concept anyway social cohesion uh, made me think of all of the events in parks that I've been that like we've been going to over the summer so far because day free and we're poor exactly 
And like one of the things is like getting drunk in the park at Jazz in the Garden. Uh, so like I don't know if you've heard of this, Armel, but every Friday at the National Gallery Sculpture Garden, there is a free jazz concert from five to nine. Last it, week it was reggae, which was more was lit than the jazz. So fun. And they and it's just like they're always packed and there's like a fountain and people just bring blankets and stuff and like they go after work. It's like a happy hour outside and it's there's so many people. And it's uh, so much fun. And I think it is a really interesting concept um, and like a really great idea to have an event like that every Friday where people can go and meet and just like be part of a community and like feel like they're part of something like it really makes dc feel smaller than it is with all those people there and i think that's super important and it's kid friendly too which is important there's a little baby on the first weekend we were there oh my god i love her i miss her she kept giving me leaves what's important about parks too is just like making sure that they're free (laughs) Um, and, like, these activities are free. Like, you can bring your own food in. You're not allowed to bring your own alcohol in. But you can bring your own alcohol in. Um, and, like, <laughs> like these, if, you, if you're good, you can bring your own alcohol in. Um, but, like, that these, there's, like, activities at parks that are free. Like, Shakespeare in the Park. That's a really cool New York thing. Ramel, have you ever been to Shakespeare in the Park? I haven't, actually. But I've had friends that have, like, gone, and they're like, oh, it's really cool. Um, I've gone to um, opera in Brooklyn Bridge Park before, and it's... What is that? It, it's just, like, it's, it was, like, you know, like an opera in, in Brooklyn Bridge Park, and um, it was a lot of people. It was packed. Like, I, need, I needed help, like, finding my friends and whatnot, like, th- that I was going to meet there. And then, you know, people, people brought wine... You know, like older, older, like older people, and then like, you know, me and my friends aren't exactly like, you know, we're we don't go mad about opera. Like, it's not like, yeah, it's not like on my Spotify playlist or whatnot. But like, you know, we just went there to like hang out, yeah, and we just just laid in the park and took pictures, talked. Yeah, yeah. I think what's like the nicest part, like, I guess that's how we feel about jazz too, like. Jazz is not on my Spotify playlist, but it's, like, a thing to do. It's free. It's outside, and it, like, makes you feel part of your city. Um, everyone's always like, oh, jazz is such a D.C. thing to do. Um, and it's like, yeah. you fe- It makes you feel part of D.C. It's, like, right like on the mall. Like, it's really just, like, you feel, like, so D.C. when you're doing it. And, like... And speaking of D.C. in general, um, so... In 2018, the D.C. area national parks, like that's the National Mall, Rock Creek Park, like there's a couple of them, had 54 million visitors in How that do they year. know that number? Because uh, then I guess it's just a national park estimate. That's got to be an estimate because you don't, there's no like gates you go through to any of those exactly. parks. Um, but according to DCist, um, the greater Washington region also raked in over $1 billion uh, from the 54 million park visitors in 2018. Um, so this is a great example of, like, one, D.C. is has some great parks. Uh, D.C. parks, uh, if you're listening, please sponsor us. Um, and 
it's another economic like example of like the economic power that parks bring to a region. Like one billion dollars um, brought to the region is crazy. Um, I was looking at uh, there was a website the. National Recreation and Park Association w- has a l- neat little infographic about the economic impact of local parks. Um, and so America's local park and recreation agencies, so like this is the whole nation, generated $154 billion in economic activity in 2015, which nearly $81 billion in value um added and more than 1.1 million jobs uh, that boosted labor income by 55 billion dollars dang charles the encyclopedia out here so is this jobs like in the parks or generated that jobs that are generated by the presence of the parks both both yeah so actually it goes on to say that um um, more specifically, operation spending by local park and recreation agencies generated nearly $91 billion in total economic activity during 2015. Um, and that activity boosted the GDP by $49 billion uh, and supported more than 732,000 jobs uh, across like multiple uh, non-park-related like, like just park related. So it's like the 1.1 million jobs were like all the jobs in relation to parks and like just park jobs were the 732,000. I think what's important to note is that like most of DC parks is like what DC people, what people, tourists come to see DC for is like the monuments and like that's what tourists go to, which is not typical of every single city. Yeah, but these numbers are showing that across the country not like in dc we have like so much success with our park system bringing in tourists like i mean we have all the monuments and stuff but it's like not just like across the country in like all public parks are not just like national parks like local town parks and city parks are bringing in lots of visitors and lots of economic growth which is pretty fucking cool it's lit um, speaking of um, economic growth, um, consumer behavior is actually affected by like the physical environment of like urban green spaces. Like when there's like an urban green space that's like present, like the willing the the willingness to like pay apparently increases by ten percent according to like this study that I found. Wow. And then um, is that the willingness to pay for like anything like a cup of coffee or like the willingness to like pay taxes? Uh, for like products to buy like in the area and then like people were willing to pay more in areas with large trees and like other vegetation in combination like with the trees where green elements were well maintained it's interesting i think that like would go into what we were talking about earlier like your mental health like if you're feeling better you're happier you're more willing to spend a little money yeah which is interesting you're gonna treat yourself if damn if our if any capitalists are listening sponsor us uh sponsor, sponsor us, us but also uh build more parks cuz then people will buy more things apparently honestly this is america don't get so. you slipping up okay. besides the fact that it's gonna like 
fix climate change. Not f- whoa. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Fighting words. Help climate change and make people happier. It's also going to make people spend their dollar dollar bills. So that's lit. Um, two other things to consider with that. Now you just reminded me with the whole climate change thing. Um, but there are some cities that are deciding to build green spaces uh, that like east coast cities to build parks and areas to fight like sea level rise they're like building up their wetland areas um in the hope that it can like alleviate some of the effects and causes of climate change well flooding is like a major section of that and like and i know we're talking about dc a lot but that's where we're from so um, but like in DC, there's a whole initiative to build uh, green roofs because it like helps uh, with drainage and with such. drainage and yeah. flooding. Um, and also, so does like trees and any type of vegetation is gonna help your drainage issues outside of the U.S. And Ramel, I don't know if you remember this from I don't know why, but I have a lot of like our urban geography class in my head right now. Wait, are you gonna talk about Curitiba? Curitiba, Brazil. Yeah, you want to talk about it? Yeah. Well, uh, what do I remember from it? Um, I remember. Wait, I remember that the plant. Do you remember the planner's name? I don't remember the. Pl- I don't remember his name. You talk, and I'll look it up. Well, link in the bio. So basically, um, <laughs> what, 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 Okay, so I remember that he he was a planner that completely redid the whole like city of Curtiba and like he shut down the roads and like the businesses just so he could like it took like what a week to like yes it was so like a short like a short amount of time to like create one one-way streets and then like other forms of like public transportation so the guy his name is Jamie Lerner um I believe uh, and he like became the mayor of Curitiba, Brazil, and he like took a bunch of low lying area that used to be like like the slums and like the poor people, and he created this initiative where he like re- he literally turned the city upside down almost by moving all these people off. He moved all these people off of the low-lying areas that were flooding every year. Um, And he, like, created educational initiatives and, like, work initiatives where he had the people he moved building their own houses in the new area and, like, building the infrastructure. So, like, they were working. They were, like, building their own area. And, like, they were being taught how to do these, like, labor tasks. So, like, it was, like, kind of like job training and they were building their own homes. And then those people that were moved were also hired to completely redo the low-lying flooding areas and they put in a mat like it's like one of the biggest urban parks um in i I believe in south america and what it did was like it caused the flooding issue in the same way because there was um like so much vegetation that was able to like act as a buffer for it basically yeah and my favorite part of this whole thing of this whole park thing is that because the city didn't have the city was super poor 
Um, and because the city didn't have any money to hire anybody to mow the lawns that were put oh, out, wait, like all the they, grass. They had, they had farmers, right? They like hired people that didn't have jobs. And they hired farmers to herd goats. Yeah, like in to the mow public, the lawns. in like the public open space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. I, that's what stuck out in my mind. I like, love from the that goats. whole From that whole lecture, that's what stuck out. It was like, holy shit. So they just have like goat mowers. Also, so much better for the environment mm-hmm. because grass is terrible for the environment. We need native species, bro. Plant those natives. And there was a really funny New York Times article a couple weeks ago, I think. Or it might have been a week ago. Time is a construct, and I'm not aware of what's happening anymore. But that New York City this summer is supposed to have goats in Central Park to try and mow the lawns a little bit. So wow, well, I gotta know when they're coming. So I have no, I I don't remember. I can goats are my spirit animal. I can link to the <laughs> article <laughs> in the show notes, but like I actually feel like a very deep connection to goats, like. If I had to pick one animal to bring on Noah's Ark with me, I would bring goats. Because you're half goat, because you're Satan's child. I'll bring penguins. You bring penguins? Why? I bring a dog. I love penguins. I feel like goats are just like farm dogs, just the way that seals are ocean dogs. Thank you both for potting with me tonight course it's always a pleasure and thank you for listening to another episode of pod for the planet please comment and let us know how we're doing we are playing around with the new formatting and stuff and we're hoping to find what works best for our listeners so please 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 let us know what you think in the comments um and as always please subscribe uh drop a like on whatever service you listen to your podcasts uh and share us with your friends and co-workers share us on facebook instagram twitter you know just let people know how fun we are Um, We're okay. And if you have an idea for a future episode or want to talk with us about something you heard in this episode, uh, you can reach us on our new Twitter and Instagram accounts at pod4theplanet. That's the number four. And they're both run by Abby. So reach out to her. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Ding, ding, ding. Are you ready for green space trivia? Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. So, can oh, any of yeah. you tell me what is the biggest park in New York City? Central Park. Charles? Is it Central Park? In New York City or New York State? In New York City. Oh, uh, Central Park. We're talking about all five boroughs. Oh, fuck. Um, oh, wait. Is it in Stat? It's on Staten Island. It's it that old not, landfill. No, it's not in Staten Island. And it's also not in Manhattan. Is it Prospect Park is in Brooklyn? <laughs> nope. Is it the Pelham Bay Park in the Bronx? Okay. Is in the Bronx? Represent. I'm not from the Bronx, yeah, but Pelham Bay Park is. Wow, I didn't. Wait. Would not have guessed. I did not put the acres. Pelham Bay Park is two thousand seven hundred and seventy-two acres. Damn. Damn. All right, what's the next question? Central Park is 840. Damn. Wow. Yeah, that was my my reaction, too. And it's like, I cannot believe that the biggest park is in the Bronx until, like, I fact-checked it. And I was like, wow. Who'd a thunk?
Who would have thunk? All right, second, second question. Where do you think is the biggest green roof located in? Like what city? Um, I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you um, multiple choice. New York City, Chicago, D.C., or San Francisco? I'm gonna, so, right. I, I'm, is, is the, um, Highline, con no, it's not, a, not that's not, not considered green a green roof. I'm gonna guess D.C. All right, I am going to guess New York only because of the Barclays Center. Really? Oh, no, maybe Chicago, um, I don't know, tell us, I have no idea. It is Chicago. Chicago. In Millennium Park, where the big bean thing is. Oh, I've never been has, to Chicago. It has the beans. world's largest green roof, which is 24.5 acres. Dang. That's but so what many city has the beans? most green roof, like by square footage? Oh, We'll, have we'll to find out later. Show. We'll tell you tomorrow. Yeah, we'll have to, too. You'll have All to right. listen to the next episode. <laughs> right. All right, last question. Oh, wait, actually, this is not the last question. There's two more. Um, the most expensive green space. Golden Gate Park, San Francisco, Central Park in New York City, or Yellowstone? Golden Gate Park. Central Park. Central Park, you don't have to pay to get into. You mean expensive, like uh, it costs to get into, or expensive, like to cost to maintain? Well, okay, so the answer is Golden Gate Park, but it's basically, it calculated the values of, um, like, the real estate. Oh. That it occupies mm. also. California is so expensive. And it and it um it adds up to forty nine billion dollars. How many tiny homes could we put in there? That's a good question. Four million. Four. How many four. tiny homes? Just four really big tiny homes. The last one is which country has the city with so you just have to guess the country, I'll just give you the city since I don't know if you know every city and like the countries on the list. But which country has the most green space in the world? Russia, United States, <coughs> Brazil, or United Kingdom? Okay, I have another. I'm I'm all about these clarifying questions. Is it okay. like country to space ratio, or is it just like the biggest amount of space? The most, yeah, the most amount of space. Russia, United space. Kingdom. It is Moscow in I Russia. I knew it. Russia's got just like a lot of snow. You can't build anything there. 54% <laughs> of the land in Moscow is green space. Damn. Yeah, yeah. boy. All right. Woohoo. Thank you for participating bow, 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 bow. in green space trivia. Bow, bow, bow.